You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are, the Anarchist World this week, and if you were sweet-talked by that introduction, keep listening. If you weren't, keep listening. Maybe you'll learn something. Anarchos without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You tackle the two main issues which give rulers the ability to access to determine your future. You devolve power, which means share power. You can do that one mechanism is through direct democratic means and you hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Very simple concepts. This program is podcast. So if somebody knocks on the door, you know, wanting you to donate to something or somebody needs to hide in your backyard, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Not that many listeners would have backyards in 2020. I have noticed that if you are living in the outer burbs, and many listeners to our program live in the outer burbs across Australia, um, backyards are shrinking because land is money. So I want to I talk about the coronavirus and uh, put a little bit of uh, reality into this discussion and then compare the response to the current climate emergency to the response to the current coronavirus slash emergency. Now, the current coronavirus is a, a mutation of viruses which have already been uh, done the rounds, and they include the SARS virus, which I think uh, first uh, sprouted in uh, 2003, which has a mortality rate of about... 10%. Then you've got the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, which I'm sure you haven't heard about, which had a mortality rate of about 35%. And we've got the coronavirus, which currently has a mortality rate, looks like around 3%. And I've been uh, amazed at the collective response to the virus, where you get scientists uh, define geographic boundaries and national boundaries and actually all sharing their, uh, or most of them, not all of them, but most of them sharing their research results in order to help to contain the virus. Now, 
to put things in perspective, there are five diagnosed cases in Australia. There's been no deaths in Australia, although there's been over 100 deaths in one province in China, the epicentre of the virus. And let's not forget that last winter, over 2,000 Australians died of the influenza virus. Just to put things in perspective. Now, the main issue is how contagious this virus is, whether it can cross the animal-human barriers, and whether a person carrying the virus can be contagious during the incubation period, which means during the period the virus is building up in their bodies before symptoms arise. And obviously, something like Ebola or MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory uh, Syndrome, they've got very high mortality rates. And if they spread around the world and not checked, we'd have hundreds of millions of people dying. And so I do understand the problems that occur when you've got a pandemic, which is a fancy word for saying an epidemic which crosses national boundaries and which affects the whole world. But we've had a lot of uh, pandemics in our time. We used to have smallpox. We had uh, malaria, typhus, you name it, cholera, which you've just seen in Yemen, unheard of. And the list goes on and on. So putting this in context, most of the hysteria surrounding the coronavirus is hysteria because to date, the facts are simple. One, there was animal to human transfer, as we saw in the Hendra virus on the outskirts of uh, Brisbane about uh, 15 years ago, but the mortality rate for the Hendra virus was almost 100%, about 80%. I think five people contracted it and four died. Secondly, it looks like the mortality rate is about 3%. And when you compare that to the number of people who died of influenza in Australia last year, you can see that it's not the huge issue. The debatable point is whether the virus, if somebody carrying the virus can actually be contagious during the incubation period. If that is true and there's more and more information coming out to support that fact, it makes the virus very hard to contain, although the Chinese authorities have locked down a number of cities in China. So we do have a problem. It's not a huge problem at this stage. And even if there was a pandemic of the coronavirus, its impact in terms of human population would be limited. And not unlike the influenza virus, which occurred after the Second World War, where over 20 million people died within a few months. More people died in the uh, Spanish flu outbreak in 1919 than died during the whole course of the uh, war in World War I. So So the thing is, it is a problem. It's not an emergency at this stage. It could become an emergency. People are working collectively in order to contain the virus, 
They are sharing information, which is highly unusual in scientific circles because most research is uh, privatised these days and supported by private corporations, uh, you know, for their profit and loss ledger. So we are seeing the best of human nature in terms of tackling an issue which crosses boundaries. Now let's look at the client. Let's compare this to the response to the climate emergency. Now we have known for over four decades there are escalating changes occurring in the climate. We know that. But the response has been abysmal at a national level and an international level. And every time the major states, nation states come together uh, regarding uh, doing something about increasing CO2 emissions, the response is minimal. And when you look at Australia's response, it's particularly pathetic. So why is there this huge collective response to the coronavirus and no collective response to a climate emergency which has, in the next few decades, much, much, much more implications for the human race and biodiversity in the world. This this species of coronavirus will ever have. And it's about money at the end of the day. It's about money. The coronavirus has had a minimal impact, it's having a little impact on the world economy at this stage. Not a huge impact, but a small impact. But if we need, if we tackle climate change, it will have a huge impact on many global, international and transnational corporations, their bottom line, because they've invested heavily in techniques and technologies which are producing CO2. So they're resisting tooth and nail any attempt to reduce CO2 emissions. We get to the ludicrous situation where we've been asked to actually bail them out financially because they've made you know, that particular choice. So you can see how, as a planet, as a species, we respond to emergencies or possible emergencies. That if it means taking a hit to profitability and making major structural changes, people in authority and who exercise power because of inequalities in power and wealth will struggle tooth and nail not to make any changes. And the coronavirus does have an impact. It has an economic impact, especially for Australia, which has uh, extensive uh, contacts and relationships with China. 
It has impacts on the student population in terms of students coming here. It has impacts on tourism, huge impacts on tourism, especially as the tourist industry is, you know, is, is trying to recover from the uh, bushfire emergency we've seen in southeast Australia mainly and South Australia and Kangaroo Island and bits and pieces of uh, West Australia and Queensland. So think about it. Just think about it. It's a little bit like you may have a red-backed spider in the, uh, in the house. That's your coronavirus. You can actually deal with it. And then you've got a tsunami coming down on your house. It's a bit too late to deal with it when the tsunami's arriving. So this differential response, I think, highlights the very essence of what is wrong with our world. It highlights the fact that profit comes before everything. And why? Well, I want to talk about capitalism today. I know it's not a very popular subject, capitalism. So what is capitalism? I mean, we throw words around, we never define them. Let's define it. Capitalism is an economic system in which the production and distribution of goods and services depends on invested private capital making a profit. It's about private capital, which means capital which is owned by individuals or corporations, and the investment of that capital to make a profit. So what we've seen over the last four decades, we've seen the triumph of capital over labour. Four decades ago in Australia, for every dollar that was invested, that's capital, every dollar that was invested, any profits that were made, two-thirds would go to the labour force which made that profit, one-third would go to the person who put up that private capital to make that profit. Forty years later, as a direct consequence of the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution, and it is a revolution which has swept over this land and across the planet, what we now see is for every dollar of private capital which is invested and profits are made from that dollar, two-thirds of that dollar goes back to the investor and one-third stays with the people who provide the labour to create that profit. It's very simple. And this has occurred, especially in Australia, for a variety of reasons. It's occurred because of our immigration program, our 457 visa program, it's occurred, which are designed to provide pools of cheap labour in the community, which keeps wages artificially low. And we've seen that today, where we live in a, an economy with this minimal wage growth. Although bills keep going up, the amount of money in your pocket at the end of the day, irrespective of low interest rates irrespective of uh, tax cuts 
still doesn't seem to be able to meet the financial liabilities at the end of the month. So it's an issue. And then we've had legislation, which has been put in place, which has basically um, outlawed trade unionism. We still have trade unions, but they don't actually have any capacity to work effectively in the community to raise wages and improve conditions. And in situations like the construction, forestry, mining, maritime, uh, energy unions, CFMMEU, what we are seeing is governments trying to introduce legislation to actually strip them of what little power they still have. At the same time, we have legislation which is passed in Parliament which rewards people with disposable income, that's capitalists, rewards them financially through the taxation system, rewards them financially through you know, tax credits, through uh, uh, franking credits, through negative gearing, and the list goes on and on. So the whole way society functions has been changed. So what we see today is the domination of our society. That's right, the domination of our society by private owners. And in the majority of cases, corporations, transnational corporations. So private owners of capital and production whose only responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their shareholders. And what we've seen over the last few decades is the incorporation of the Australian workforce into the very system that exploits their labour, into that very system, through the creation of superannuation funds, which are basically people paying for their own retirement at the end of their lives, not the state rewarding them, you know, for... Uh, for their contributions to society over a lifetime of work, but through funnelling most of that money into the stock market, shares, stocks and bonds, which is basically capital for private owners. So what has successfully occurred is that every Australian worker, whether self-employed or employed by somebody else, is now a little capitalist because of their investment in the stock market through their superannuation funds. And what we've seen with the decrease in interest rates and the explosion of prices for housing, what we've seen is, and low interest rates, we've seen more and more and more and more funds flowing to the stock market. So if you live in a society where the capitalism, as I said, is an economic system in which the production and distribution of goods and services depends on private investors making a profit. Very simple. It's a very simple definition. Even an idiot like me can remi- you know, remember that. So, secondly, something that's been particularly... Uh, you know, been on my mind for a number of years, is how single-issue movements are regularly co-opted 
into the capitalist system. And I'll give you a few examples. I mean, the example which comes to mind now is green capitalism. It's all about changing the nature of production. It's all about changing the way in which energy is produced and distributed. It's all about making profit. There's really no change, ultimately, in the type of society we have. Because the solution isn't collectivism, cooperatives, but the solution which is touted over and over and over again, and people are making a killing on the stock market, is by picking and choosing green companies which will be able to meet the challenges that increasing CO2 emissions pose to society. Then we have other movements like the feminist movement. And again, it's interesting to see how more and more sections of the feminist movement are actually being co-opted into the capitalist model, where we see that the push becomes more and more to see more and more women actually be appointed to boards. Nothing wrong with that. May increase profitability, should increase profitability. But again, we are not seeing the challenges to capitalism which feminist feminism posed in the 60s and 70s, where patriarchy and capitalism were seen as intertwined. Then we move on to, say, indigenous struggles. And this is where it gets a little bit more complex because indigenous people in this country, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, have had a system of land ownership, in inverted commas, which is anti-capitalist by its very nature. And what we saw with the Native Title Act and the Mabo decision is the very essence of land ownership was challenged. But Native Title is very different to Freehold Title because Native Title is a collective title which is owned by the custodians of that land. It's not a title you can take to the banks and get a loan for, as you can on a freehold title, to invest in something. But what we've seen in the Indigenous movement over the last three or four decades is this huge push to, try, to change native title into freehold title. And what we're seeing is elements of the Indigenous uh, struggle more and more strain into the capitalist model. Private ownership for private profit. Capitalism is a dynamic force, not to be underestimated. It can actually absorb, it can actually absorb most challenges to it. You've got the pink dollar, gay capitalism. It can absorb cultural changes, you can absorb. I mean, a lot of people saw marriage equality 
as a great economic uh, boost to the catering industry, the wedding industry, the photographic industry, the cake industry, and the list goes on and on. So although people may be involved in struggles around the country in many ways to improve people's lives and give them more options, what we don't actually see is a struggle against capitalism itself. And what we see is capitalism, private ownership for private profit, dominating all fields of human existence. For example, the music industry. It's about how many downloads, how many concerts, how much buck. The sporting industry, same thing. Corporatised. It's not about sport. So it's a little bit like being entrapped by this octopus, this very powerful octopus, which controls the state, controls the media, has huge uh, implications for uh, religious-based organisations. And we've seen the rise and rise and rise and rise of uh, religious capitalism over the past, you know, centuries. So we do have a major issue. I mean, our struggle as anarchists, our struggle as radicals, our struggles as reformers is ultimately a struggle against capitalism. It's a struggle against private profit from private ownership. That's our struggle. And I'm not talking about, you know, the roof over your head. But I'm talking about what happens with disposable income. How it's channeled into these businesses which are basically anti-human at the end of the day, which do do more damage to the world than any coronavirus could do. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program is a is broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. It's streaming live on 3cr.org.au. A few contact points. You can go to a few Facebook pages. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano or Toscano the Public. No, you won't learn much about me, but you will learn a lot about activities I'm involved in. Okay? So if you want a bit of goss, it's not the Facebook page for you. Also... um, Facebook pages, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing Everybody's Business, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, YouTube channel, I try to do a presentation a week. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, but have a look at it. Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, YouTube channel, Twitter, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I underscore A-U. Don't use that much. You can always leave messages on 0439 395 489 0439 395 489. And yes, you can write to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. And if you want to join public interests before corporate interests, that's PIPSI, public interest before corporate interests. Uh, hopefully, you'll be registered by, as a federal political party by the end of the year. 
once we get the uh, necessary membership of 550 people on the uh, federal electoral roll, go to pipsy.net, download the application form, ain't computer literate, want to be a member, you can always write to me at post office box 20, Parkville 3052, send you out a membership form, or you can leave a message on 0439 395 489. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. You're listening to Joseph Toscano on The Anarchist World This Week. Now, this week is the beginning of school. You know, it's a preoccupation for me when I was a younger, but it's not a huge preoccupation, but it does worry me. And it does worry me because we supposedly live in a very, very, very rich society, supposedly. If we forget the 30% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive, and if we forget about the 700,000 children who are living below the poverty line, and if we forget about the billions of dollars which are pumped into the private education system, you know, it's the beginning of school. Now, I've been... Look, I've been around a long time. Let's, Let's be realistic. And I'm a little bit concerned... Well, I've always been concerned, but a little bit more concerned. I'm more concerned about this at the minute than I actually am about the coronavirus, to be honest, okay? I'm very concerned about the 700,000 children living below the poverty line who need to go back to school this week, who need to find money for uniforms, who need to find money for books in a so-called free education sector, who need to find money for transport, you know, It's exceptionally concerning because we do live in a society which is based on a handicapped race and these 700,000 children living below the poverty line, some in cars, some in dysfunctional families, some children where both parents are working their butt off to pay a mortgage or pay the rent and there's no disposable income. So I find it quite disconcerting when I see the Smith family which is a great uh, charity as far as I'm concerned I've got nothing against the Smith family having to having to get Australians to sponsor Australian children to go to school it's quite extraordinary isn't it we live in a society of 25 million people I think it's 25.4 million at the minute, living on a continent, resource-rich continent, and we have to ask charities to raise money to provide basic necessities so Australian children can go to school. So they can actually have a uniform or a pair of shoes or food for that day. 700,000, almost a million. Almost, what's that, about 3% of the population. It's about, maybe about 10% of the children in this country. Maybe 15% that we have allowed this to occur. We have allowed this to occur. You and I have allowed this 
travesty this to occur and we continue to allow it to occur to the extent that private charities need to raise money to send kids to school. It is a birthright in this country that children should be able to go to school and have the necessities. In 1876, Victoria was the first jurisdiction in the world to introduce three compulsory secular education. And within a year of that legislation being passed in the Victorian uh, Parliament, which is then just a colony, 625 schools were built because they saw education as an important thing. In a highly technical society, without education, you're always going to have an underclass. It's extraordinary. It is just an extraordinary situation. I'm actually lost for words, and it's very hard for me to be lost for words. To me, this is a national failure. This is an emergency happening now as I speak, where families are trying to find clothes for their kids, food for their kids, books for their kids, and many single-parent families which have been harassed by Centrelink where single parents have been forced to go back to work when their children, you know, are seven or eight, you know, forced to go back to work, forced to jump through hoops, as if not ruining a child, looking after a child, isn't one of the most important contributions any individual can make to society. Extraordinary. It is really an extraordinary situation. I mean, I see the acres of space Devoted to the coronavirus, five people infected in Australia. Acres, talkback shows, panic in the streets, masks running out, chief medical officers meeting on a daily basis, governments quivering in their boots. Well, we have this emergency right now here and nothing's being done about it. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio satellite. Ever heard of the word time bandits? Well, you know what a bandit is. A bandit is somebody who steals things, all right? We've got gangster bandits, gangster governments, and I'll talk about gangster governments in a minute. Time bandits. Well, you know the biggest threat to your existence, if you've got, you know, if you've got the disposable income, if you can meet your bills, is time bandits. Everybody's just so busy today doing nothing in particular. Reading other people's garbage, eyes glued to the YouTube, addicted to social media, you know, answering every, you know, waiting for the next whatever on social media, you know, extraordinary. Time bandits. We need to declutter, not declutter in terms of crap that you're living amongst, but we need to declutter our minds from the garbage that's pumped into them every second of the day, where somehow we think what is happening in the virtual world, some inane debate that's happening on the virtual world or some inane 
cat video somewhere as something to provide. I mean, time banditry is a real issue in 21st century society. It is a real issue. Wasn't technology made to free us from everyday, the burdens of everyday reality, not imprison us? So if you are one of these people who never has enough time, never has enough time because you're a slave to your phone or social media or the net or whatever or YouTube, you never have enough time to interact with anybody else except somebody who's got the same opinion as you on some other planet somewhere else. Think about how our lives have become so truncated, so narrow, so inconsequential, so self-centred. And to a large degree, when I talk about 700,000 children living in poverty who can't even afford the basic necessities of going to school this week, I am talking about the diversions which occur in society with this time banditry which invades our everyday life and which controls our responses and formulates our opinions, helps to formulate our opinions. And I think the best thing we can do is actually declutter. I mean, I give out all these addresses, you know, but I'm not telling you to basically, you know, slavishly follow them. What I'm saying to you is there's more than having your time robbed by people whose major, that's right, major purpose is to push advertising in your space and to collect material about you so they can actually push the advertising which they think you will be influenced by to buy their products or services. That's what time banditry is all about. It's not about expanding your opinions. It's not about expanding your horizons. It's not about improving your life. It's not about changing what you're doing or changing the world, which is a little bit, you know, megalomaniac, but that's a different story. I mean, time banditry is about capturing your mind to sell your useless products and services. That's what social media is ultimately about. You are the product. Your information is what they want. So they can actually tailor advertising to suit you. I mean, it's no accident that if you know you look at one ad for one thing, there'll be 16,000 ads of the same thing in the next few days. It's no accident at all because that's what it is. So buy back your time. Switch off social media. Go to events in the real world. Have a cup of tea with a friend or a drink or a beer. Have a barbie in the backyard. It can be a vegan barbie or a prawny barbie. It's up to you. But that's the essence. The essence of existence and the essence of change is based on participation, not virtual participation, not being some silent product waiting to be festooned with ads for 
crap you don't really need. And that's why it's important that people do participate in real-life events and get involved in real-life events and get out there and shoot the time bandits away. You don't have to kill them. You don't have to hang them. Just ignore them. And the older I get, the less interest I have in time banditry. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I do like to end on a funny note. Well, sometimes. Although sometimes I may get carried away and not end on a funny note. But I am uh, I'm always amazed. It's an amazing world we live in. It's an amazing country. Remember, this is the land of milk and honey, the land of equality, the land of the brave. No, that's the United States. We're not brave. We're just free. Well, not even free. But I do love living in a world where facts are irrelevant and that where opinion triumphs. It's a really good thing, you know. Opinion. Opinion, you know. I believe the world is controlled by a green, one-eyed, green-eyed cat. That is my opinion. There's no facts to back my opinion, but who cares? It's my opinion, and there's somebody else in that 3.5 billion community on social media that agrees with me, therefore I must be right. And that's the reality today, isn't it? Facts don't matter. Truth doesn't matter. Ethics and morals are for losers. And I keep thinking about how the groper, a.k.a. President uh, Trumpy, Trump boy, highlights how facts don't matter in the 21st century. They don't really matter. They don't matter, as he said. I could kill somebody here, publicly, in front of this rally, and it wouldn't matter. You create your own reality. And while other people believe you, well, you're powerful. That's funny, isn't it? It really is. It's funny. You know, we've, we've gone from the age of reason, from rash, rationality, to an age where facts are irrelevant. Obviously, we can challenge facts, and we should challenge facts, and we should hold them up to scrutiny. But it's one thing saying one thing and pretending not to say it, you know, a minute later. So I think the triumph of capital over labour has been overshadowed by the triumph of opinion over fact. Opinions are two bob a dozen. I have so many opinions. But I do try to base my opinions on fact, not on some gut reaction. So it's about time that facts were rehabilitated and we took a little notice of facts, like the temperature. Maybe the fact that there are 700,000 children living in poverty who are going to have trouble going to school this week. Maybe, you know, increasing intensity and severity of uh, bushfires. Maybe the fact that in the land of milk and honey, 30% of Australians struggle on social security benefits, which are about less than 
$400 a week in most cases and $250 a week in a significant number of cases. Facts that we are in the midst of a privatisation orgy. Not bonanza, orgy, where we've privatised anything that's real and now we're privatising goods and services, actually goods and services. You know, the latest, and you'll love this one, you know we've got privatised prisons around this country, but uh, this is even better. The federal government would like to outsource, which is a fancy name for saying to privatise, the visa system. Could you imagine that? The very government that jumps up and down about border protection and the need to protect our borders and the need to decide who comes here and doesn't come here wants to outsource, privatise the processing of visas from a state authority to a private corporation. It'd be funny if it wasn't real, wouldn't it? And then we have the Australian Day Honours List. Not that I read it, but I do hear snippets from acquaintances because, you know, and friends, well, a friend or two. And I may be wrong here, but I understand that some great human beings have uh, received a gong. People like uh, Gina Reinhart, a wonderful human being. Bettina Art for her uh, services to uh, feminism. I think every uh, Murdoch acolyte may have received an honour of some type. Obviously you do. You do filter in a few nice people who've done reasonable things in their lives into the honours list. You do need to give it a bit of credibility. But uh, but you do know that the New Year's honours list is also privatised. That's right. The Australia Day Award, you know, Australia of the Year, privatised. Airports, privatised. Bank, of Commonwealth Bank, privatised. Telecommunications, privatised. I could sit here for the next two years and tell you about all the wonderful privatised things that have occurred. You know, employment services, Commonwealth Employment Services, privatised and what happens every time something is privatised 40 cents in every dollar that you and me the taxpayer pays to the federal government goes to provide infrastructure and profit for privatised company because what does a privatised company need to do? A privatised company is a capitalist company. It's about private money for private profit. A public company should be provide services to people and cross-subsidise services to people in areas of need. That's why we have all these issues now currently regarding our telecommunication system, energy system that's been privatised, and the list goes on and on. Not only do you lose the service or the service gets worse, obviously people lose their jobs, but more importantly, profits which are made 
by public companies go back to the Treasury, which means you and me, which help to pay for services. As I said last week, we've now reached the ridiculous situation in this country, that's right, ridiculous situation in this country, where, yeah, just so ludicrous, where we can't even have enough public servants to deliver essential services to bushfire victims or anybody involved in an emergency that we need to negotiate with private corporations, some for profit, some not for profit, negotiate with them and pay them to deliver services which should be have been delivered weeks ago by the public service. But if you haven't got a public service, how can you deliver the services? And, uh, and then, talking about gangster governments, we have a gangster government. I mean, I thought fraud was a criminal offence, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I could pretend to be the Prime Minister of Australia. No, I'm not Scotty from advertising. I don't want to be Scotty from advertising. I mean, yeah, I've got some ethics. Well, not many, but a bit more than Scotty from advertising, but that's a different matter. He goes to church, so it's okay. Now, Miss Madam McKenzie, the Deputy Leader of the National Party. Unbelievable, isn't it? Now, she's done nothing wrong, nothing illegal, nothing against, you know, no ethical, moral considerations here, but the dear lady pushed Scotty from advertising over the line. We all wondered about all that funny voting around the place. Now, Madam McKenzie had $100 million as a sports minister. She had a committee which made certain recommendations which were based on need for sporting clubs. Now, Madam McKenzie, a few weeks before the election, decided that why waste all this good money and all those stupid Australians who live in federal electorates which don't belong to her party, which are not marginal. Why not splash a bit of cash and give it to some wonderful club with a few hundred members or a few thousand members in a particular electorate a few weeks before the election is called in order to buy their favour, maybe buy their votes? So every time you now see Scotty from Advertising talk to you, think about the reasons behind Scotty's election. The Murdoch media pushing their agenda through their ventriloquist style, Scotty from Advertising. Then Madam McKenzie dishing out cash to all these clubs that don't really need it, but fine, they're in a marginal electorate. But what I love about it all is it's all legal. You see, the minister doesn't have to follow the recommendations of the committee. The minister doesn't have to give money to the clubs that need it. The minister has the prerogative, it's a bit like the royal prerogative where the royal family doesn't actually have to obey the law, has the prerogative to actually give the money to whoever she likes, whenever she likes, and we've seen her do that. So, Madam McKenzie, good luck to you. You've done what I'd expect a good politician to do, push her side over the line. Forget about ethics, they're for losers. 
Forget about morals, they're for losers. And the great thing about living in 21st century Australia, the land of the cringing, carping consumer, is the fact, the bigger the lie, the more people will believe you. So, let's move on. This has been the Anarchist World this week. As I said before, it's been a funny week. Coronavirus, green capitalism, feminist capitalism, goes on and on. The triumph of capital over labour, the McKenzie, you know, quartet, and the list goes on and on. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. Any complaints? Send them to me and I'll ignore them. T-O-S-C-A-N-O. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. Actually, info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Go to the uh, YouTube, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, for the, this week's presentation. Um, a few Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano. Come and join the events. It's been a real big comedy week, especially for those 700,000 children living under the poverty line who have to have private charities help them into school. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Phone number, nice messages, 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. For letters, don't forget everything restarts next week. And we go through this again and again and again and again. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Facebook pages, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing, Everybody's Business. Uh, net webpage, net. Download the application form for public interest before corporate interests. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Twitter stream. You may find something there this week. I may feel up to it. Pipsy underscore AU. And the list goes on and on. Personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscana. No, you will not find the colour of my underwear or the makeup I use, okay? You will find out about a lot of interesting things to me, but maybe not to you. And remember, fight those time bandits right now. They are robbing you of your time. They've turned you into a product so they can sell you more products. Remember, join the fight against the time bandits in 2020 and reclaim your life. Listen to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And remember, listen in to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brain
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.